I'm starting a series of talks in which I want to see things which have accumulated in my mind and heart over the years. But I don't know whether I will be able to do it properly. So I will do my best to express things. And I will ask you to do your best to hear beyond the words in your heart and in your experience of life what I ought to have said. A number of years ago, a number of years ago, I was invited by the BBC to give a talk on believing. And when I finished my talk, the person responsible said to me, Bishop Anthony, we shall never invite you again to speak on our religious programs. And I said, was my talk so desperately bad? He said, no, it isn't that. But we don't want any of your certainties. What we want is doubt and questioning. And I think we are at a moment, at a point, where not only the BBC, not only people without a faith, but people who have a faith, religious, philosophical, or people who believe in life, in truth, in men, are shaken by what is going on. I'm not speaking only of the horror of that has seized upon America <clears throat> and has spread all over the world. I'm speaking of a gradual loss of faith, a gradual diminution in the number of people who wish to come to church and an increasing number of people both within the church and outside it who ask earnest questions searching questions about their own faith and the faith which they have inherited how can one believe in men? How can one believe in all those things which we proclaim about God? What is faith? And we are at the moment at the turning point which I believe 
is very important for us to face because knowingly or not the whole world is facing it. What is faith? What is doubt? What is questioning? Can one claim to be a sincere and honest believer and question things? Can one claim to be a believer that is to believe in God and say, I can't understand you. This is something which Job said centuries and centuries ago, not quite in these words, but faced with the problems of life, he asked God. And the same question was asked not so long ago, within my lifetime at least, by Sarah Silwan. who fought for 14 years to break through a wall of separation between him and God. And in the end, at the end of his strength, no longer able to find his way, he said, Lord, you cannot be prevailed upon. And at that moment, as he says in one of his letters, at that moment, something broke in him, a last resistance, a last human hope, and he became aware of the presence of Christ. Christ was standing there with him. And he says he read in the expression of his eyes, in his whole countenance, such love, such compassion, and mercy that he could never forget it. And he continued to live with this awareness of Christ, having become, as it were, inseparable from him, even at moments when Christ was not making himself manifestly present. And so I would like to insist on the fact that when a doubt comes, when hesitation comes, when we begin to question what seem to be 
so simple and clear at other moments. We are not committing a sin. I was about to say, it is our right, and more than this, is our duty. A right and a duty, because we are called by God to be his friends. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends, because a servant does not know what his master wants. And I shared with you all there was to know. These are approximately his own words in the Gospel. He wants us to understand. But he does not expect us to understand or to see at any moment of our life with ultimate clarity. And it is infinitely important for us to realize that at every step of our life, our faith may be complete to the extent to which it corresponds to our spiritual maturity. But it is incomplete imperfect when we look at yesterday with today's experience and at the end of our life at our the way we have trod. I would like to insist on this question of questioning and of doubting, and of asking questions. I make an artificial distinction between questioning and asking questions because we can ask questions in all simplicity, ready to receive an answer and to accept it. Or we may question things because the answers which we have had thus far do not satisfy or fulfill us. And that is very important. We must be honest with God and with ourselves. <clears throat> God does not want to be surrounded by credulous people but by people who know him enough to trust him at times beyond the limits of their knowledge. Where does faith come from? What is faith? One can understand faith <clears throat> in different ways. On one hand, faith is a certainty. When the saints spoke of their faith in God, they spoke of their inner certainty concerning the God they had met at the depth of their soul. 
But faith has got also other nuances. Faith means faithfulness. What we have discovered of God and ourselves, what relationship has been established between him and us, one moment, if it is true, if we believe it is true, must develop into a way of life. In the same way in which when we make friends with a person, we have the joy of friendship, but we must also live up to this friendship. Basically, it means to be worthy of the friendship which is offered and given without reluctance, generously, and at a time at a cost. In our human relationships, this happens time and again. We make friends, and then we prove incapable of living up to the friendship which has been given us is the most pre precious present. But our friend does not turn away from us. He endures. He remains faithful, even if we waver, even if from time to time other friendships, other things attract us more than the precious friendship which we have gained once. This happens supremely in relationship between husband and wife, between children and their parents. Faith, therefore, is certainty of things unseen because a relationship, an encounter at the depth of our soul cannot be put into words. It's an experience. Now, if we ask ourselves about the nature of faith, I would like to refer you to a passage of St. Macarius of Egypt in one of his writings. He asked himself, where does faith begin? Because he says, faith is not identical with the experience which gives it birth.
we may have an experience of a deep moment of communion with someone or with God. And then this experience itself <clears throat> fades. What is left in us of it? And he gives an image which I find very beautiful and telling. He says, suppose that on a night you float away on the river. The night is dark, the sky is deep, filled with stars. The silence, the quiet, pervades you completely. The waves carry you and at the same time, like a mother holding a child, hold you, moving. And you feel such deep communion with what you see, with the silence, with the beauty. And you feel carried by these waves like a child in the arms of a mother. And then the little skiff settles on the sand. And for a moment you still feel the movement of the waters in your body, although you are no longer floating. You have the certainty that what you experienced a moment ago was real. And when you walk afterwards on a hard ground, you carry with you this certainty and this experience. The experience of the beautiful night or the deep sky and you are certain that you have experienced it because somehow it lives within you. I have made a long discourse about a comparatively short quotation of Macarius of Egypt. May he forgive me for it. The same is true with us in our experience of God. There are moments when, and I will come back to this, we perceive God's presence somehow, directly or communion with others. And then we are left alone, not quite alone, because this experience continues to exist within us.
we not only remember it, we almost perceive it. There are moments when this experience is clear and strong, and there is no doubt, and there is joy. There are moments when suddenly it fades or disappears altogether. To illustrate this, I would like to tell you a children's story from India. A child says to her mother, Mother, how is it that there are moments when I feel that God is there, quite close, and I'm so happy with him. And then he fades away. Where has he gone? How can I find him? And the mother says, Look, we have been playing hide and seek with you. You close your eyes, I go and hide in the bushes or behind the tree, and then call out, Ooh, ooh, ooh. You open your eyes, and you look around, and you begin to ask yourself, Now, where did the sound come? And you go in this direction. At times, you find me immediately, and you fall into my arms, and we are so happy. And we laugh together, and we hug. But at other moments, you begin to search, and you cannot find me. And for a moment, you feel, what if mother had gone away, leaving me here? And fear comes. To begin with, you, you look around, but you look around in a more and more tense manner. And a moment comes when I can perceive your fear, and I come out of my hiding place, and you run to me, and I take you in my arms, and you are happy again. So is it with God. He gives us an experience of his presence. And then he tells us, and now live with what you have learned. Live as though I was with you. Live so that I could be proud of you and you would be happy with me. But he watches from behind the bushes, as it were, from behind the tree, to be sure that there is a moment when you will feel you have lost touch. And then he will call. He will not obligatory come out, but he will call somehow. You will meet someone who will tell you about God. You will be taken to the temple and pray with others and feel, yes, he is here. He is here with all these people and me among them. So is it with us also. 
we begin with an experience. And this experience may fail and call, cause us to ask questions. The first question is, but where has he gone? The second question is, but was he ever here? Or have I had simply a delusion? Perhaps there was no God. And then fear comes and doubt comes. And it's very important for us to be prepared to face these situations. Each of us, in a different way, to which I will come if I can, at a certain moment has had a sense of God. And then there are other moments when we lose this sense. And we must at that moment have faith. Be certain that the experience which we had was real. An example of a different kind. At every stage of our spiritual development and growth, we can perceive and we can know only what is on our scale. God is infinite. His depth is immeasurable. The light that shines from him is such that St. Gregory of Nyssa could say, this light is divine darkness, because when I try to look at it, I go blind. At every moment, we can see that much I know from experience. Beyond it, not yet, but others may know. It is true even for us among ourselves. The experience which each of us has of his or her humanity, of life, of God, of the Church, of sacraments, is very varied, greater or smaller, but also infinitely different. At, at every stage, we are who we are today. And we must be who we are today with all our faith and wholeness because it is the only way in which we can go beyond it. If we are not true to ourselves today, we cannot grow 
into a tomorrow in which we will be true to ourselves or to God. And there is something wonderful in questioning, in becoming aware of the limitations of our knowledge, of our experience, and of the wonder that even so small an experience is so rich, so deep. I will give you an, an image. Before I was a priest, I studied science and then medicine. And I remember Professor Curie in his lectures on physics telling us that we must do our research very earnestly with total honesty not trying to to proclaim an answer which we have not yet got. But when we have found a complete image of what we are searching, the first thing we must do is to say, this is true on the level on which I was up to today. No, let me ask questions about it. To begin with, we collect all the facts and all our understanding into a complete picture. And now has come the time to look for that inner picture which is incomplete and imperfect to look for the imperfection of our picture, to explode, if necessary, the harmonious image which we had developed, because only then can it open up to a wider and deeper knowledge. That is what the scientist does. When he has got a clear image of a scientific point, he asks himself, and what is wrong in my reasoning? Have I been totally honest in building this image? And if he can say yes, then let me look for those facts that will explode it because my image is too small for reality. This, I believe, is something of immense importance because it applies to our relationship with people, to the image we have of them. It applies also to our understanding of God. At every point, our knowledge of God may be true, but it may be the truth of this moment which corresponds to our spiritual width and depth 
and growth. And we must rejoice in what we know and know that gradually new elements will come into our understanding and the image of God will become infinitely more wonderful and infinitely more puzzling. And we must not be afraid to say, Lord, I thought I understood and I don't understand any more. What can I do? And the answer is, live. Live through prayer. Live through communion with other people. Live in deep communion with your own self. In integrity, in honesty. Don't try to protect the image that was so consoling and beautiful. Because if you have doubted it one moment, it means that you have outgrown your image, not God's reality, indeed not, but the image which you have formed of it. And questioning comes there as part of our spiritual growth, of our discovery of God, of our increasing knowledge of God. At times, when I speak in such terms, someone says, how sad. Does it mean, that I'm so poor in my knowledge of God, in my knowledge of self, in the knowledge of people around me. How can I rejoice? And the answer, I believe, is this. At every step, you are fulfilled. You are complete. And you can rejoice and say, if immature, small, as I still am, I can know God as I do. I can venerate him as I do. I can turn to him as I do, or I can do. Then how wonderful it will be when having matured, I will outgrow my present condition, my knowledge of God will increase, become wider and deeper, and my joy in Him will be ever greater. So that questioning is not a lack of faith. One can question only if one has truly faith and confidence and say, all I know, all the image I have formed, all I have heard and read, all I have been imparted 
is nothing compared with the width, the depth, the height, the greatness of the living God. And how wonderful it is that I realize that my image is true, but it is the image which a child forms and which will gradually become richer, ever richer, with years and with time. Now, I would like to say one or two more things. The knowledge I have today can fill me to the brim. And it can fill me to the brim only if I live in accordance with what I have already been given. It will break only if faith does not become faithfulness. Because if I'm not faithful to what I already know, to what, I'm to what I already am, we cannot grow beyond. Unless something catastrophic comes, something shakes me to the ground of my being, something which questions me totally, It is very important to realize this. Now, in my next talk, I would like to speak to you about the way in which different people have discovered what is their faith and what it means to have made this discovery. I was thinking of the way in which the disciples of Christ met him when he was a child. What did they see in him? The way in which they met him as grown-up people. Nathanael, who in response to a very simple question or remark, I have seen you under the tree, says, you are my God. How? Huh? Why? The way in which Peter says, thou art the Son of God, at a moment when nothing was said about it. And the way in which people discovered Christ It's a depth that does not find expression in words. I will come to that next time. And I suggest that we keep quiet for a few moments.
I would like also to apologize for speaking so slowly. But apart from being tired, it's a subject that is not easy to speak about. <laughs> 